So let's listen to Frank Gaffney, the uh, executive director of the Center for Security Policy. He also talks about a website, ChinaAtWar.com, where you, you can actually go to a website and take a look at how China is actually fighting a war economically, largely, but also engage in other tactics that are supporting armed conflict in other areas. So, Mr. Gaffney talks with Tiffany Myers of uh, China in Focus, which is uh, Epoch Times TV, and uh, they they put out uh, this uh, NDT, basically television, New Taiwan, New Taiwan. I'm not really sure what the NTD stands for, but uh, Tiffany's been, been on a lot on YouTube, on uh, you know, different platforms. Unfortunately, they keep deplatforming them because the CCP is so influential. In fact, even my own ads have suddenly dried up ever since I've been reposting a lot of the materials. But let's let them be heard. Let's not wait. And let's hope keep people aware of what's going on with China in the world today. Here's Frank Gaffney, talking with Tiffany Myers. So let's listen to Frank Gaffney, the uh, executive director of the Center for Security Policy. He also talks about a website, ChinaAtWar.com, where you, you can actually go to a website and take a look at how China is actually fighting a war economically, largely, but also engage in other tactics that are supporting armed conflict in other areas. So Mr. Gaffney talks with Tiffany Myers of uh, China in Focus, which is uh, Epoch Times TV, and uh, they they put out uh, this uh, NDT, basically television, New Taiwan, New Taiwan. I'm not really sure what the NTD stands for, but uh, Tiffany's been, been on a lot on YouTube, on uh, you know, different platforms. Unfortunately, they keep deplatforming them because the CCP is so influential. In fact, even my own ads have suddenly dried up ever since I've been reposting a lot of the materials. But let's let them be heard. Let's not wait. And let's hope keep people aware of what's going on with China in the world today. Here's Frank Gaffney, talking with Tiffany Myers. We're aimed at focusing Americans' attention, and that, for that matter, others, uh, on a reality that uh, an awful lot of folks still don't understand, and that is that the Chinese Communist Party has basically, since it came to power, had its sights set on destroying America in the interest of achieving its objectives, which are global domination, as you and your audience know very well. Um, a lot of people find that hard to believe. Um, they certainly have not paid attention to the abundant evidence that China's been engaged in uh, what it calls unrestricted warfare against us. To this point, uh, mostly of the non-kinetic kind, but that among the techniques that it has identified in a book of that name, Unrestricted Warfare, by two senior PLA colonels, is biological warfare. And the book is...
is focused on what we have learned about the Chinese illegal biological warfare program, its objectives, its progress, and its use. And that gives rise to this conclusion. The CCP is at war with America. And Frank, you mentioned how on the surface, some may argue that America sees China as a competitor rather than an adversary. But you mentioned you and your team have an abundance of evidence that proves otherwise. So give us some examples of that evidence. Well, the impetus behind this study was um, to try to provide a second opinion on the Director of National Intelligence Assessment of September 2021, in which there was kind of a big shrug out of the intelligence community as to whether the, the origin of the virus known as SARS-CoV-2 was natural occurring or was produced by a laboratory. And what we found was there was zero evidence that it came from nature. And there is abundant, albeit circumstantial, evidence that it came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, a biological warfare uh, level four lab in the heart of Wuhan. So what we've really come up with is uh, evidence in terms of the genetic structure, in terms of the lengths the Chinese have gone to conceal information about this virus, uh, the degree to which um, the Chinese most especially set about at the very moment that they were trying to contain the movement of people from Wuhan anywhere in China. They nonetheless were facilitating the movement of those people uh, internationally, including to the United States. Uh, in fact, I was told today that there is some evidence that uh, the Chinese government was paying for people from Wuhan to go visit their families in the United States during this window when the virus was uh, first being discovered and addressed. And Frank, earlier you mentioned the term unrestricted warfare and how one of the main ones of the CCP is biowarfare. So how does that tie into the pandemic? Well, in our book, uh, and people can find it at ccpatwar.com, we talk not only about the current pandemic, but about the history of China's interest in biological warfare. And this is all the more important because, of course, the Chinese are, by treaty, not supposed to have a biological warfare program, let alone one that is as active, as uh, ambitious, and as aggressive as the one we've now been exposed to, uh, in the worst sense of the word. And what I think we've discovered about this is that the Chinese Communist Party has, going back to Deng Xiaoping's general secretaryship of the CCP, had as the purpose of their biological warfare activities um, being able to depopulate the United States and colonize it with Chinese. Now, this sounds 
over the top or even unbelievable, but we have this from a secret speech that was given about 20 years ago by the then defense minister of China by the name of Qi Hao Chen, not in public, but to uh, a secret uh, party cadre meeting. And in that, he was very explicit that the purpose of this is offensive in character and its target is the United States. And as I say, um, its ambition is to preserve the infrastructure of our country, but get rid of the people so that the Chinese can take it over. And um, what's interesting is that what we discovered in recent Chinese writings, in military journals and scientific publications, open source, are people in the Chinese biological warfare program talking about the work they're doing, including work aimed at trying to genetically engineer the ability of these diseases that they're cooking up to attack certain ethnicities or nationalities or you know uh, geographic areas perhaps in their populations so uh, it remains to be seen whether they can do that uh, there's some skepticism on our side certainly at the moment but the fact that they're pursuing it and they're talking about the utility and value of biological warfare is something we ignore at our extreme peril. Especially against the backdrop that a million of us have been killed by a biological warfare attack that they've already watched. And expanding on that a bit, Frank, it seems right now big in the headlines is the Russian war in Ukraine and the Taiwan question about whether Beijing will do the same in regards to Taiwan. And it's interesting that the report notes that China is pushing the Taiwan issue while hiding the real issue underneath it, which is America, and that their ultimate goal is to defeat America. So given all this, that it seems the U.S. and allies' attention is elsewhere, how can the American public really balance that and know what the ultimate problem is? It's a very good question. I think what we need to do is go back to that speech by then Defense Minister Chi Hao Chen, in which he very explicitly said, there's a lot of talk about Taiwan, but the real target of our operations and, and warfighting strategy is the United States. And what I think we have been confronting is certainly evidence that the Chinese are deadly serious about having their way with Taiwan. But what's less obvious, but no less important, is to understand that they realize that whatever they're going to do vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan, or for that matter, anything else in the Western Pacific, they're going to have to neutralize the United States. So what I think Americans need to be thinking about is, based on reports like this one, again available at ccpatwar.com, is the evidence continues to accrue that the Chinese are determined, whether it's through non-kinetic for holding this hearing. <clears throat> I think you started out by talking about how unusual it is we have these open hearings, and there's a reason for it. Um, the members of this committee on a regular basis 
review some of the most uh, sensitive intelligence, both intelligence and the products that come from them that this government has available to it. So I think it should send a powerful message um, when you see that on issue after issue relating uh, to China, issues that some would argue are outside the purview of what this committee has traditionally looked at, technology, academia, uh, influence operations, global diplomacy, um, industrial policy, that it is members of this committee that you see in the lead on so many issues relating to China. Uh, because the members of this committee have a, because of the role they play, have a very unique insight into this horror show that's playing out before our eyes in the 21st century. The, the, the title of this hearing is The Long Arm of China. The Long Arm of China is not some futuristic threat. It's already here. China is stealing between 300 and 600 billion dollars a year. Three to 600 billion dollars a year of American technology and intellectual property. They hack into networks and they take it. They use venture capital funds to, to buy promising technology startups. They hide their, their ownership, by the way. They partner with universities on research, and then they steal that research, often research that whose seed funding came from the U.S. taxpayer. They, they force American companies doing business in China to give the technology over to them. And I think the other thing most people don't realize is China already, already has tremendous influence and control over what Americans are allowed to say or hear about them or many of the other issues in the world. Hollywood is so desperate, for example, to have their movies shown in China that Hollywood won't make a movie that the China communist censors don't approve. The U.S. corporations are so desperate to have access to the Chinese market that they'll lead costly boycotts of a state, an American state, that passes a law that they don't like, but, but they don't dare say a word about the fact that as we speak, genocide is taking place against Uyghur Muslims. American companies have actually fired Americans who live in America for saying or writing something that, that China doesn't like. There's some examples here that are pretty stunning. 2019, China suspended business ties with the NBA because the general manager of the Houston Rockets expressed support for Hong Kong democracy protests. 2019, Apple removed an app that enabled protesters in Hong Kong to organize following CCP pressure. In 2019, an American company, Activision Blizzard, suspended a gamer and took away his prize money for voicing support for Hong Kong protesters. In 2018, Marriott the, fired a, a, an employee that ran a social media account because he liked a Twitter post from a Twitter account applauding Marriott for listing Tibet as a country rather than as part of China, and he was fired after that. 2018, Gap. Gap made a shirt uh, with a map of China, and it didn't include Taiwan. They apologized for it, and they removed the shirt from its stores. Now, maybe you think that shirt thing is trivial. I don't think people getting fired is trivial, apps getting trivial, these other things. These are just one of, a handful of many. And this is already happening. So um, in conclusion, I'd say two things. The first is Chairman is absolutely right. This is not about the Chinese people, or especially not about Chinese Americans, OK? My parents came from Cuba. I live in a community filled with Cuban Americans. It would be unfair to blame Cuban Americans for the atrocities of the Cuban regime, and it would most certainly be unfair to blame the Cuban people for the horrifying actions uh, of, of the uh, regime that controls that enslaved island. Likewise, the biggest opponents of the Chinese Communist Party on the planet happen to be Chinese. Many live here, many in other parts of the world, and many under their oppressive thumb. So this is not about the, China, the Chinese people. It is about a Communist Party, and it is time to wake up. Today, China 
is already carrying out the biggest illegal wealth transfer from one nation to another in the history of mankind. Today, the Chinese Communist Party has more control over what Americans can say, what we can hear, what we can read, what we can watch, than any foreign government has ever had in our history. And they have weaponized our openness. They have weaponized our decency. And they have weaponized a corporate lust for profits against us. And if we don't wake up and we don't address this now, the America our children are going to inherit very soon could very well be one where the sanctimonious preachings, as someone once said, the sanctimonious preachings of a genocidal communist tyranny will be the only thing that Americans will be allowed to hear or say about China. So I'm glad we're having this hearing. And Mr. Chairman, just as a point of privilege here, um, one of our longtime staffers, today's his last hearing with us, Paul Matulik, he's been with the committee where he's been 16 years, worked with Senators Hatch and Chambliss and Burr and Cornyn and, and now here with us. And um, so he's retiring, and um, we hope, as all retirees should, he's moving to Florida. We don't know, but, um, but it's, that's what Americans do. And, uh, but anyway, we want to thank him for his service to the committee, and uh, we hope our last hearing will be a memorable one. But thank you for your service. Beijing lashes out over a potential U.S. trip to Taiwan. We look at how House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is involved. Chinese-made drones are at work for U.S. government agencies. New details say departments like the FBI and Homeland Security are still buying them. The Senate gears up to vote on a bill aiming to boost semiconductor production on home soil. But there's more to it. We dig into the controversy behind the package. And Washington is earmarking over a billion dollars to help counter hypersonic missile threats from Russia and China. Nearly 30 satellites will be launched in 2025, with even more to come. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Now for news on the diplomacy front. Beijing is lashing out over a possible U.S. visit to Taiwan. Chinese officials say they will use resolute and strong measures should House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visit the island. China's strong response follows a report from Financial Times, citing anonymous sources. The outlet says Pelosi plans to visit Taiwan in August. If that happens, she would become the highest-ranking politician to visit the island in the last 25 years. We reached out to Pelosi's office for comment, but did not immediately receive a reply. Relations with Taiwan is a sensitive subject in U.S.-China relations. During a civil war, Taiwan's current government fled from mainland China, where the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, later took power. Despite that, Beijing sees Taiwan as part of its territory, even though the communist regime never ruled the island. Beijing has also threatened to take Taiwan by force. The U.S. does not have formal diplomatic relations with Taiwan, but Washington is required by law to provide the island with the means to defend itself. Recently, Beijing asked the U.S. to cancel its latest arms sale to Taiwan. The deal is worth over $100 million. Something to note here, Beijing maintains the world's biggest navy and Asia's biggest air force. The regime is also working to rapidly expand its military presence by boosting its nuclear arsenal. 
growing its control in the South China Sea and sending record numbers of fighter jets near Taiwan. U.S. agencies are still buying Chinese-made drones. These departments include the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Department of Homeland Security. In a hearing last week, Senator Rob Portman raised questions about the issue with two officials. Brad Weigman, Deputy Assistant Attorney General for the National Security Division, and Samantha Vinograd, Acting Assistant Secretary for Law Enforcement Policy for Homeland Security. So there's a report that last year uh, that the Secret Service purchased eight of DJI's drones. The FBI purchased 18 of them. So let me just ask you these questions on, on the record. Uh, start with Mr. Wigman. Does the FBI currently purchase and use Chinese-made drones, yes or no? We do. You do. Uh, Ms. Vinograd, does DHS currently purchase and use Chinese-made drones? DHS has prohibited the purchase of foreign-made drones, small UAS, uh, absent uh, waivers in very specific circumstances. Okay. so. This report uh, that I mentioned uh, said that the Secret Service had purchased eight of DJI's drones. You're saying that's inaccurate? I'm saying that in with certain waivers, very specific so my, my, waivers. My question to you is, are you purchasing DJI drones or not, yes or no? With specific waivers, DHS can purchase certain uh, Are you purchasing DJI drones, yes or no? With certain waivers, we are purchasing certain foreign-made aircraft. So you are? I can follow up with more specific details. Okay, but the answer is yes. In a closed hearing, I can provide more specific details, sir. Okay. As for the Pentagon, it banned drone purchases from Chinese company DJI, but the drone maker was a major supplier for the American military before 2018. Chinese drones are also widely used by law enforcement departments across the U.S., including in New York City. The company DJI denied receiving money from the Chinese regime, but it's funded by state-backed investors. The issue has been setting off alarms in the U.S. for years, but the problem has continued. According to Financial Times, that's partly because two lobby groups have been working against the American Security Drone Act in Congress. If the bill is passed, it would ban the U.S. government from buying Chinese drones. The act was introduced in early 2021 by Senator Rick Scott. Washington plans to pour over a billion dollars into advanced satellites development. That funding will go towards systems to better track hypersonic missile threats. That's according to a comment from the Pentagon Monday. Defense officials announced two new contracts that will launch the tracking systems into orbit by 2025. Derek Turnier is the director of the Space Development Agency, part of the Defense Department. He said the contracts will provide 28 satellites, technology that will help counter threats from Russia and China. Both of those countries have been making strides in their development of hypersonic missiles. Turner told reporters on Monday that the satellites are specifically designed to face those threats, adding they will allow the U.S. to detect and track these hypersonic maneuvering vehicles and predict their impact point. Congress has provided additional funding for the program in response to concerns in the Indo-Pacific region amid China's rapid military buildup. According to Turnier, the program signifies a U.S. shift to a larger, overlapping system of satellites, meaning the country will have a greater number of cheaper satellites that can be replaced more often with more up-to-date technology. He said the first batch of satellites would likely be followed by a larger second group of over 50 satellites. 
Earlier this year, the U.S., U.K. and Australia announced plans to work together on hypersonic missile development. That's alongside China's escalating military aggression in the Pacific. Last October, a top U.S. military official confirmed that China had tested a hypersonic weapon, calling it a very concerning, very significant event. On the Senate floor in Washington, lawmakers are moving forward on a bill meant to lower costs and boost American microchip making. So far, the move has gotten support from both sides of the aisle. NTD's Melina Weiskup brings us more. On Capitol Hill today, senators kicked off their procedural votes for passing the CHIPS Act as their first steps towards passing a bill that would grant $52 billion to U.S. chip manufacturers along with tax credits. This is in response to the global chip shortage that has contributed to inflation, particularly on products like smartphones, refrigerators and cars. The White House has been urging Congress to pass this bill for months now as it's one of their solutions to fighting inflation. Here's what Senate Democrats told reporters today about this bill. I urge my colleagues, if you want to fight inflation, if you want to create more good paying jobs here at home, American, bring American jobs home. If you want to keep America strong and competitive in the 21st century, support the CHIPS Act today. This is a vote for the future. I want the Democrats to be on the right side of history, and I pray that enough Republicans will join us that we can see the science section of this bill added. Senate Leader Chuck Schumer wants to add to this bill investments in U.S. scientific development and technology, but he says if he cannot get enough votes to add that piece into the bill, they will just move forward with the smaller scaled back version, including the CHIPS Act. Now, this CHIPS Act does look like it will move smoothly through the Senate. We've heard from Republicans over the past couple of months that they have support for this. Most recently, Senator John Cornyn says that we need to invest more in U.S. manufacturing here, saying that it, quote, does nothing to protect the United States economy or national security to have another manufacturing facility located somewhere else around the world. Now, this bill is just a piece of a larger bill that was originally aimed at stepping up our competition with China. That larger China competition bill has been stalled in Congress for months because the House and Senate are unable to come to agreements in key areas, such as how far to go when cracking down on Chinese espionage. So while the two chambers are still hashing out the details for that larger China competition bill, they've decided to move forward with this more scaled back version, that is the CHIPS Act. The procedural votes have started today and we can expect to see final passage by later this week or next. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. The bill is part of a larger package that has come under controversy. In addition to boosting chip production on U.S. soil, the larger package includes other provisions that take aim at several areas, cutting prescription drug prices, increasing taxes on big corporations, and other provisions for energy and climate. But Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell said he'll block the bill if Democrats push for provisions unrelated to microchips. He later recommended separating the chip bill from the package and passing it by itself. And Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo emphasized the urgency of the effort. My recommendation is that they move, move quickly. Uh, my recommendation is that it's a matter of national security because if they don't, these chip companies are going to invest. They're going to do it outside of America. Ramondo said President Joe Biden and his entire cabinet are on board. 
it's in the interest of every American so we can sleep easy at night knowing our national security is protected and China won't eat our lunch to pass this bill, particularly the chips component, because that's the most time sensitive. And I hope they do the right thing. Discussions on the proposed legislation have been going on in Congress for months. The Senate passed a version of the bill last year. The House passed its own version in February. The differences still need to be ironed out. This is not a close call. It is a very substantial national security challenge. So the legislation that we're trying to pass is a major national security issue. It is a major economic issue. And it is one where you cannot afford to delay. Once an agreement is reached in Congress, the bill will be sent to the White House for the president's signature. Now, a closer look at the China competition bill. What does it actually include? And what can the U.S. do to help American companies be more competitive? We have Steve Yates with us, former deputy assistant to the vice president for national security affairs, to explain. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Right now, there's a lot of talk about the America Competes Act, especially the part about boosting semiconductors. And it's also supposed to help with, say, national security. But some say a lot of the bill is kind of recycled, build back better, which isn't going to make us competitive with China. So, Steve, how do you see this all balancing out? It's a common tale with mega bills that cost hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars. And that really never happened in the U.S. Congress up until recently. Uh, but there's actually quite a lot in this bill that will cost more money without actually making America more competitive. It creates a new form of the Foreign Service to advocate on climate and get deployed uh, people overseas in consulates and embassies. Uh, it has a number of reporting requirements. Uh, it's sort of a, a favorite pet project of Congress. Now, of course, some reports on some topics are justified and could be helpful, but the world doesn't change based on reports. Uh, and even the investment in semiconductors is somewhat questionable. Given the magnitude of the semiconductor in industry, you'd need to invest in the multiple billions of dollars to really move the needle very much. And this is not anywhere near that range. And so it sort of pays lip service to trying to make America more competitive in this industry. I don't disagree with trying to support uh, an environment conducive to semiconductors being manufactured affordably in the United States and bringing manufacturing home. But I think this really just misses the mark. And instead, it's basically build back better, just put into a different form of outerwear. On that note, it seems right now a big issue is the climate agenda. And as you touched on, Steve, part of this bill touches on that, too. But it seems when it comes to China, the U.S. relies on China a lot in terms of solar production. So is this yeah. a conflict of interest? Is this going to hinder us in being competitive with China? It should hinder the bill. I mean, it's, it's with some great controversy that we have to struggle about whether we're going to add tariffs onto goods that come from China for justifiable reasons from theft of intellectual property to other unfair trade practices, uh, and then have to find some kind of relationship of dependency that stands in the way of that, because we have become overly dependent on China for some critical inputs, including solar panels, when there's a demand for those in the United States. So I think it's, uh, it's something that should cause the people who are the authors of this bill to rethink their approach. 
I think what they're looking for is an election season way of saying we're tough on China and we want to make America competitive and we'd like to use the taxpayer money to do it when in reality they're not actually being very tough on China. They're not actually making America more competitive. And if they're serious, they'd pull back and have separate bills that were targeted at, say, malign influences of the Chinese Communist Party in the United States, uh, trying to influence big tech, politics, entertainment, et cetera. And then they would step back and say, let's have a China trade and investment bill uh, that looked at that sector holistically. And Steve, you kind of touched on this a little bit already, but what would be in a bill that's actually competitive with China? What would that look like? Is it separate bills or how would that play out? Well, number one, I don't think it's really the federal government's first job to help an industry be more competitive in the United States. I think its first job is to make sure that China doesn't have some unfair advantage by the Communist Party manipulating markets, manipulating people, manipulating data. Uh, and also violating the rules of so-called international bodies. And so I think the first job of the federal government is to prove effectiveness in blocking the cheating or manipulation. Uh, second, I think that we could do a lot more if we were really serious about this to focus on hardening our home and making sure that everything was done a little bit better in the United States from enforcement of the law, making sure that people are treated equally, others don't have an unfair advantage like China. Uh, but working with our allies, uh, our, our Japanese ally has given a government incentive for their companies to onshore as much as they can from China back to Japan. Uh, well, if other allies are doing that, maybe the United States, if we're not ready to spend the multiple billions, maybe even hundreds of billions of dollars to onshore this industry to the United States, maybe we should be collaborating with allies to make sure that the supply chain and manufacturing chain is at least safe shored out of CCP influence. That's all for today's China in Focus on YouTube. We're now sharing a shortened version of our program here after being demonetized for more than a year. Here's what to look out for in our second half. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is calling out China's trade practices in talks with South Korea. Other comments touch on what Beijing is doing to mitigate its growing real estate crisis, driven by home buyers who are refusing to pay their mortgages. The full episode is available on our partner platform, AppBok TV. To sign up, click the link down below. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer, and see you tomorrow. The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.